and welcome to another episode of A Brighter Future, Laidlaw & Company's podcast series. I'm Rick Calhoun, CEO of Laidlaw Wealth Management, and once again, I am joined by David Garrity, Chief Market Strategist for Laidlaw & Company. Good morning, David. Thank you for joining me this morning. I hope you had a nice weekend and you're able to relax and disengage from all the media. <laughs> Happy to do so, Rick. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Well, David, we had another wild week. We had record unemployment filings. We had a tweet from Trump leading to the single largest one-day move in the price for oil, and unfortunately, the virus exceeded 1 million infected worldwide and over 50,000 deaths with over 6,000 of them in the U.S., although that now number has now moved to 10,000. Um, can you give us kind of your macro take on not only what happened, but maybe more importantly, where you think we're going from here? Certainly. Uh, I mean, this morning it's great to see a little green on the screen, but uh, you know, we do have to understand that right now there are estimates that the U.S. economy is operating at 75% of its rate prior to the onset of the COVID-19 coronavirus. You know, also, one item from the March 2020 employment report that was released on Friday is that the broadest measure of employment, U6, rose 1.7 percentage points uh, to 8.7 percent of the U.S. workforce from 7 percent in February 2020. You know, that's the largest month-to-month -month change in the history of the data series, which started back in 1994. And it's a clear indication of the magnitude of COVID-19's shock to the U.S. economy. In terms of stepping away from the economy and, and looking more at the stock market, you know, if sooner is better for the stock market in terms of economic recovery, you know, then V-shaped, a quick down and then a quick up is better than U-shaped, a quick down and a slow up recovery. The fact that the Fed's funds futures are not pricing in a V-shaped recovery means it's likely the stock market doesn't have a V-shaped recovery priced in either. So we think the likelihood of further rapid rapid stock market collapse from these levels may be diminished. But that said, you know, there are bulls out there on the stock market who may be premature in their timing on their recovery. You know, apart from how quickly the healthcare policies to contain COVID-19 are relaxed, and note, this is expected to be gradual, not rapid, hence the U-shaped recovery expectation. The other critical variable markets will have to deal with is the global price deflation caused by the protracted demand destruction COVID-19 wreaks upon leveraged corporates. You know, more broadly, deflation's taking hold will serve to raise investors' concerns as to the earnings power of companies, and it depends on whether their business models can function profitably in this new economic environment. The market will likely have difficulty handling the wholesale rethink of corporate earnings power deflation brings. But, you know, in investing, as in the land of the blind, the company with positive pricing power is king. And how well we navigate the tides of deflation depends on both finding companies with positive pricing power and, if you're aggressively inclined, shorting companies that do not. For now, COVID-19 remains the gating factor on the economy and the stock market. Near term, the flattening of the COVID-19 infection curve will offer support to bulls. The full measure of recovery will likely be the realization of either a commercially available vaccine, which may not happen until sometime in 2021, or reaching a level of herd immunity, uh, something that may require 60% of the global population to be infected, which would be approximately 4.7 billion people out of the estimated 7.8 billion world total. Wow. 
that will be a scary amount of people that would uh, potentially have to be infected. Um, interesting, you, you mentioned the idea of shorting and bulls. Uh, I noticed this weekend that our friend uh, Mr. Ackman has decided that he's going to become a bull. I guess that's because he was able to scare enough people to cover his shorts. But I digress. Um, David, you, you referenced, uh, or I referenced, excuse me, a tweet from President Trump last week regarding the impact on the price of oil. Uh, what's going on with oil, and, and potentially could that be a positive as it relates to lower prices at the pump for, for the consumer? Yeah, I mean, to our view, the effort on the part of the U.S. government to stabilize the price of oil is aimed at keeping prices over the break-even level of $45 a barrel. So U.S. shale oil producers, uh, you know, can maintain their employment and, you know, the possibility of any corporate defaults in that sector can be forestalled. Now, whether Saudi Arabia and Russia can reach an agreement to reduce production levels remains to be seen. But to our thinking, it would appear to be in their long-run self-interest to undermine U.S. energy independence. But, you know, for now, um, before the start of trading earlier today, WTI oil futures are trading at 27.70 a barrel. Uh, the market apparently is not putting much credence in the likelihood of the U.S. government succeeding in its price stabilization plan. Separately, lower oil prices translate to lower gas prices at the pump. And that does provide some benefit to the U.S. economy. So, you know, obviously it's good for us to be mindful of the available positives at this point in time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it does look like the futures or the WTIs are trading off a little bit today. So um, let's shift gears for a second, David, and, t and talk about fixed income. Um, well, I, we all know that there's no, in no investment that doesn't have some level of risk. Fixed income investors have really had a bit of a wake-up call this year. Um, I saw in one of the write-ups this weekend that there's 19 bond fund categories that are tracked by Morningstar, and all but four have lost money this year. Uh, really not exactly what most bond investors would have signed up for and, and would have expected. Uh, you know, kind of what are your thoughts there, and, and, and what should we be thinking about on the fixed income side of the list? Yeah, no, we mentioned earlier uh, that, you know, investors are having to come to grips with deflation. And, and this is a pricing environment that the global economy has not had to deal with uh, for some time. You know, in the last time I think we really had a serious, severe bout of deflation was going back to the Great Depression in the 1930s. Now, right now, the world's biggest source of deflation is China, where producer prices registered a 0.4% decline in February 2020 compared with a year ago after rising 0.1% in January 2020. Uh, this decline in producer prices uh, represents a drag on the price of goods being shipped overseas from China, the world's biggest trading nation. Now, the problem with deflation for fixed income investors is that it raises default risk as loss of pricing power causes corporate issuers to fail or restructure. Arguably, the decline in bond funds last week is a confirmation that higher levels of default risk are being priced into the market, similarly so with the widening out of credit spreads for lower-grade borrowers. So bottom line is buyer beware when it comes to fixed income. Keep your eye on your credit quality and, and obviously play, play really short on the curve because there's no real pickup or benefit to going out very far. Yeah, it's kind of a Will Rogers situation. I'm not just looking for, you know, return on principle. I'm looking for a return of principle. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, you know, we talked a little bit last week, David, about some of the actions that were taken by the Fed, and it seems like they are truly setting the pace 
about what's going on um, in the market. You know, the don't fight the Fed is definitely true. They are driving the bus. What are your thoughts, though, on this new CARES bill? Um, the initial day, Friday, it seemed like the systems work for some, but others really struggled to keep up or even said they weren't ready. No, you're right. Uh, I mean, clearly the Fed has been stepping up to the plate here and pulling out all the stops to do what they can. And, you know, we've seen, I think, a record expansion on the size of the Fed's balance sheet by about $1.4 trillion, which certainly is far greater than we saw than what the Fed balance sheet expansion was back in the global financial crisis back in 2008. Uh, on the fiscal policy side, you know, this uh, on Friday, you know, April 3rd, the failure to launch for the relief payments offered to small businesses under CARES 1, you know, it was unfortunate and, and maybe somewhat indicative of the haphazard character of the current administration's efforts to address the COVID-19. But, you know, that's the expectation is relief payments will be forthcoming over the course of April 2020, which may serve to blunt some, to some extent further sharp increases in unemployment. You know, the bigger question now uh, on the fiscal policy side is how discussions are shaping up around CARES 2. Uh, with Congress not scheduled to be back in session until Monday, April 20th, uh, there is a slackening in the pace of relief efforts that are urgently needed to support the U.S. economy uh, during the COVID-19 crisis. Indications are that you know, current COVID-19 containment measures, uh, stay-at-home, social distancing, and others, uh, may be extended and so remain in place until late in the second quarter of 2020. Now, as it now stands, uh, the CARES One Relief Program is thought sufficient to support the U.S. economy until early May at best. Uh, you know, with GOP leaders such as Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell indicating a reluctance to move forward on CARES Two until having the opportunity to examine the full benefit of CARES One. You know, the risk here on the fiscal side is that Congress will fall behind the curve in trying to get out ahead of the COVID-19 impact on the U.S. economy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, we were talking here about the politics of this. Um, and one of the things that we had talked about as delayed law five was the, the election and what might be going on. Um, and it seems like in all the focus of COVID-19, maybe some of the focus had, has been diverted away from the 2020 election. Now, it seems last night our current president didn't necessarily lose too much sight of that because apparently Joe Biden had a scheduled town hall at 7 p.m. for his campaign, and all of a sudden the president decided 7 p.m. was a good time for him to do a press conference. So I guess there is a little bit of gamesmanship still going on there. But any additional developments you could share with us on the, the political front that you've seen? Yeah, no, I think certainly, uh, you know, the, the horse race is certainly out there. Um, but, you know, we have to recognize that due to COVID-19, you know, Democratic presidential primaries have been postponed in 15 states and the Democratic Convention has been moved back to August 2020. The main effort to keep the 2020 elections on track will be to make sure that voting by mail is a viable option. Now, the CARES One Act contained roughly $400 million in funding to develop the vote by mail option further, but you know, congressional leadership, namely Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, has stated publicly that the full amount required to support vote by mail is gonna be closer to $2 billion. And so to that end, prospects for the 2020 elections going off as planned may depend significantly 
on the passage of CARES II. And obviously, the sooner that passes, perhaps the better we are to see the election go off relatively smoothly. Yeah, I can only imagine what would happen with the vote-by-mail program. We thought things were interesting with uh, uh, the, whole, the whole Al Gore and the, the, the uh, hanging chat in Florida. Can you imagine what we get in the vote-by-mail program? Wow. Um, switching back to the markets for a second, there was an article recently written that talked about the coronavirus is a black swan event, which by definition is something that is highly unanticipated. But that article then went on to say that this is something that really should have been anticipated by U.S. markets, uh, given that the problem had been building for weeks in China. Um, well, I will admit I heard people discussing the, uh, the China virus in February. I really don't recall anyone sounding warnings that, wow, this thing is going to be really dire. Is that kind of what happens when you get into the end of a uh, sort of a speculative stock market? At the peak, you get a normal, uh, you get a new normal, that things are just sort of wonderful? Well, you know, there is, um, as we look back with 2020 hindsight, we can say, yes, there was a high degree of complacency in the stock market as we were going at the end of 2019. You know, going into 2020, the stock market was riding high on hopes that the Trump trade wars were dying down as the phase one agreement had been reached with China and the downward pressure that tariffs had imposed on the global economy uh, was beginning to be lifted. You know, the possibility of a global pandemic such as COVID-19 was clearly a long tail event, an unknown unknown that no one expected, much less factored into their near-term forecasts. You know, I think it's likely to result prospectively as we go forward in investors opting to have some type of hedge protection in place. Um, you know, in my view, the days of being an unhedged long investor are over. Now, just touching really quickly on your question about, you know, the information was out there. Yes, it was. Uh, and the information was available back in December of 2019. Uh, certainly, you know, the intelligence community within the U.S. government uh, was flagging some issues there. But, you know, the information just was not getting out and it was not rising to a level where investors were actually taking note of it. Yeah, they were. I think people, to your point, I think people were a little too too excited, too frothed up in, in the excitement of the market continuing to go up. Um, you know, David, we talked a lot about macro ideas, and I think our listeners might benefit maybe from some portfolio ideas. Uh, for example, the playbook says when fundamentals begin to deteriorate, you should head towards defensive sectors such as consumer staples or healthcare, utilities, and maybe real estate investment trusts. Uh, first question, I guess, would be do you ascribe to a similar playbook? And then as well, I understand you've been building a, a new COVID-19 portfolio with late loss head of asset management, Ken Matheson. Uh, maybe you can give people a sneak peek into that as well. Certainly. You know, the traditional defensive investment playbook is undergoing revision as deflation is beginning to be factored in. You know, pricing power is a far more scarce commodity these days. Meanwhile, structural shifts to a more distributed workforce and increased levels of automation as organizations right-size their operational footprint to achieve sustainable profitability, these have implications that are negative for overall employment and consumer spending levels and highlight the likelihood of excess capacity in a wide range of sectors, including commercial real estate, that may take a protracted time to clear. You know, that said, we put together some thoughts on which companies are likely to prosper in the current environment, as well as become more central to the global economy henceforth. And we have, you know, in four sectors, 
uh, 18 names that we think uh, are attractive for investors on the long side. Some of them clearly are well known. If we look in the technology sector, you know, Microsoft with their strength in the cloud uh, has certainly come to the fore. Amazon also because of its cloud operations, but certainly because of its ability to logistically deliver what goods consumers need when they want it, where they want it, albeit with some delays in this crisis, uh, is certainly a winner. Zoom is now a, a, a company that has become a verb uh, for investors, although people might be concerned about some of their security issues. And so, you know, we'll have to see how that develops. Um, you know, another name, Atlassian, also uh, benefiting in this environment, and Slack, uh, which certainly has become a means to organize efforts across a distributed workforce in terms of their messaging platform has become significant. You know, another thing going into 2020, we had said that we thought that healthcare uh, would be a good sector for investors to consider. We didn't have a crystal ball that said there was a pandemic on the horizon, but we think in the healthcare area, names like Abbott, Regeneron, Teladoc, and Moderna are good. Now, you know, to the extent, these are all names that we covered in the technology that were focused on work from home. But if we look on the leisure side, you know, to the extent that we're staying home, uh, companies in the leisure categories such as Netflix, uh, NVIDIA, Activision, Take-Two uh, are certainly all important in that area. Obviously, NVIDIA, a chip maker, more focused in terms of the technology sector, but certainly Netflix, Activision, and Take-Two uh, are important from the standpoint of movies as well as all for, also for gaming. And then to the extent that we're all staying at home, you know, clearly having a, a well-defined supply line for the kitchen uh, is important in terms of food. And in that category, we look at Walmart, Costco, Uber, because of their Eats business, Campbell's Soup, a perennial favorite for the defensive playbook, and Domino's, to the extent that they have a promise that they'll get you pizza on time or the price will be cut, something that's just right for this deflationary environment. <laughs> and I guess once we get out of all this, we'll have to have some healthcare fitness places after we're done some of the eating we're doing during this quarantine. Um, I was actually at Costco yesterday morning, uh, and they had a pallet of toilet paper, and I had finished watching Narcos on Netflix, and I thought, well, I wonder if I could be the Pablo Escobar of toilet paper, but they wouldn't sell me the whole pallet. It was worth a shot, though. Um, <laughs> David... <laughs> David, thank you again for another insightful episode of A Brighter Future. Uh, as we draw close to today's episode, I want to wish everyone listening a happy Easter and a happy Passover. I hope you have some time to relax and recharge with the long weekend that's coming up with Friday uh, closed day for the markets. And I hope you stay focused on the fact that we do have a brighter future and a brighter future truly will lie ahead for all of us when we're done uh, on the other side of this crisis. Thank you, and we'll speak to you this, uh, this time next week. This podcast was recorded and is being made available by Laidlaw and Company, together with its affiliates and their employees, Laidlaw, solely for informational purposes. Laidlaw is not providing or undertaking to provide any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax, or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be, nor should be construed 
as the provision of investment advice by Laidlaw to that listener or generally and do not result in any listener being considered a client or customer of Laidlaw. The information statement, comments, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast do not constitute and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or make or consider any investment course of action. Laidlaw does not make any representation or warranty as the accuracy or completeness of any of the information statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, is expressly disclaimed. Laidlaw does not undertake any obligation whatsoever to provide any form of update, amendment, change, or correction to any of the information statements, comments, views, or opinions set forth in this podcast. No part of this podcast may, without Laidlaw's prior written consent, be reproduced, redistributed, published, copied, or duplicated in any form by any means.